Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe, on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumlips Tesuetmuk territory within the unceded traditional lands of Suetmuk Ulu. We've been soul-searching a little bit about our territorial acknowledgement recently. Joe mm-hmm. and I are concerned that it is becoming that kind of rote thing because of the lack of Indigenous and even diverse content in what we are able to cover, although we certainly do prioritize those texts. We were talking about how we have this little statement about the mission of the show that we've sort of tied into the territorial acknowledgement but that sometimes it feels like we're being flippant when the show content week to week doesn't necessarily reflect what we really do want the mission of the show to be. And some of that is just like what's available. Mm -hmm. I think we try really hard. I don't know, folks, we're kind of struggling. We're just, we're worried that (laughs) (laughs) we're worried that the acknowledgement is not serving its intended purpose, which is to center indigenous and then other marginalized voices in a YA landscape that is still so white. Yeah, particularly because we do want to continue to acknowledge that we are settlers living on indigenous lands. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that feels like it's disconnected, even if we have to say, but we're not talking about indigenous content today, we're maybe only talking about marginalized people. Mm -hmm. Or we're not talking about marginalized people at all. We're talking about Catherine Langford. Mm hmm. It's a bit of a struggle, and I guess one of the things that we would be curious to know is if listeners have any feedback or Mm -hmm. thoughts on how we might move forward. So I think we're going to trepidatiously continue to do at least the land acknowledgement, and hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll be able to come back with either something different or concretize our mission statement a little more. Yeah, so you'll hear this space change a little bit over the next couple of episodes as we feel things out, Um, Mm -hmm. but please do let us know hkhspod at gmail.com if you have thoughts. Yes. Yeah. So, Brenna, today we are getting a little into the festive spirit, and we're going to talk about Dash and Lily. We are. And you know, Dash and Lily's Book of Dares is not a perfect book, and Dash and Lily, the TV adaptation, is not a perfect adaptation, but... Mm-hmm. Gosh, they're fun at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like to do these seasonal offerings. And I have to say that this was a much better combination than last year's effort oh, when we covered Let It Snow. Yeah, Let It Snow was real bad. But this is much better. And I I don't know, I have reservations about both. But I really feel like if nothing else, if you're feeling a little bit sad this holiday season because you're mm-hmm. not with people you love, which is definitely where my head is at. Yep. It's not the worst thing in the world to curl up and just look at the gorgeousness of New York City at Christmas time. Oh, yeah. We talked about this either last week or two weeks ago when we were introducing that we were going to cover this. And we talked about how this was shot in 2019 in New York at the height of the Christmas season. And gosh, darn it, if that doesn't look just enjoyable and (laughs) snuggly. And I've been in New York for the holidays, Mm. and it looks exactly like that. It does have an excitement in the air that just is really hard to capture. And I think they did a fantastic job on the show. It's funny because we've talked before on the show about how watching crowd scenes now can be really uncomfortable or unsettling. Mm -hmm. And I interestingly didn't feel that at all here. I think my nostalgia and my 
oh, just my longing for mm-hmm. a more traditional right. holiday season than what I'm going to get yeah. <laughs> really erased a lot of the kind of anxiety feelings that often emerge when we watch this kind of stuff now. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting thing for me to sit and watch. I was really not sure how I would feel, but I, I really enjoyed it. And there's such a mobility to both of these texts, right? Because the whole purpose is that these folks are covering a lot of ground with these dares. And it's very weird as a person who's more or less been in lockdown for the greater part of the year Mm -hmm. to see people just out and about and so driven by active agency. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was living vicariously and also a little bit envious and maybe even jealous. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Although you know what word kept coming into my head? was when we read Paper Towns. Yes. I think it was a problem maybe we had with the adaptation in that it didn't carry over enough, but that you described the book as kinetic. And that word kept coming back to me both in the book and in the the Netflix adaptation of this Mm -hmm. one. Like it's always in motion in a way that is really quite satisfying. Mm-hmm. Also, this weird tension in the book where it's very kinetic and always in motion and also kind of draggy, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. What's that about? I don't know, because <laughs> this was a second read for me. Me too. As you had mentioned, we had both read this a couple years ago when I think we did our first December or like New Year's forecast. We did a Christmas special where we talked about what YA books we suggested people curl up with over the holidays. And this was one of uh. yours. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I had really enjoyed this on a first read. And then when I went back to reread it for this episode today, I definitely found that certain parts I was like, okay, we get it. Just move on. Like, let's get to the smoochy or the satisfying stuff. (laughs) This is definitely one case. And I don't actually say this very often, but if you intend to read the book, you should read it before you watch the Netflix series because it's a much less enjoyable book once you Mm. know where the story is going. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the show's enjoyment, I think, rests on that kinetic energy, but also the what now kind of thing. And if you have already watched the show, they do a pretty good job of synthesizing a lot of those big events, but the book is almost entirely just driven by where are they going to go next. So if you know, oh, schnooshville. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And it's funny, I I texted Joe that I was reading the sequel, which is The 12 Days of Dash and Lily. Mm-hmm. And I was reading it because I knew I would eventually read it. Sure. I like I like Dash and Lily. I actually really like the cast of ra- around them more than I like them themselves. Okay. And I knew I'd want to follow up, but I was worried that the series would spoil the second book. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I read it. And um, <laughs> it's <laughs> I wanted to like it much more than I did. It got me in the end. I loved the ending. And okay. ending I loved enough that I would read book three probably. Okay. But they ramped up all the things I don't like about both characters. The drama. Like, Lily is really self-involved in the second Mm. book. And Dash is really, like, in his own head. And I know that those things are both true in the first book. But in the second book, it's just, like, ramped up to a dizzying degree. But I will say there are some things that they pulled out of the second book in the series. So overall, I'm glad I read it. Oh, interesting. Okay, because I was trying to keep an eye out and it felt like this Netflix adaptation did a fairly straightforward job of adapting just this first book. So I'm intrigued. It did. And I suspect they have the intention of if they get a second season doing book two. Oh, yeah. But there are little pieces. You know how at the end of the series, Sophia and Boomer are together? Mm -hmm. That's directly out of book 
too, for example. Oh, interesting, because it feels like it comes out of nowhere totally. in the TV show. <laughs> yeah, so in book two, Sophia is permanently back in New York, okay. and she and Boomer have, like, hooked up. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So since we're talking about characters that we'll people may not plot. know, <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> let's introduce this book, Bretta. Okay, so this is Dash and Lily's Book of Dares by Rachel Cohn and David Levithan, who are probably most famously known for writing Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which, Joe, yes. it's kind of weird we haven't done Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. I will confess we had it on the list yep. and then I took it off so that we could do some other stuff and then we just somehow ended up with this because it was more top of mind. Yeah, well, and, you know, seasonal and out right now, but we should we should double back and do that. I've never mm -hmm. actually seen it. Oh, I quite like the movie and okay. I tolerate Michael Cena and I love Kat Dennings. Michael Sarah. Yes. <laughs> get to do that okay <laughs> <laughs> what you don't think kat dennings and michael cena would make a cute couple <laughs> she's so tiny he's so tall come on i have a friend who calls those tiny tall adventures oh. he also says when he sees a big dog being walked by like a little dog mm-hmm yeah tiny tall adventures anyway okay okay <laughs> so this book i mean rachel Cohn and david levithan have co-written a lot of these kinds of adventure road trippy style like mm -hmm. scavenger hunt books together and joe and i were speculating about the process we think one writes one character and the other writes the other but we don't yeah. know for sure there's definitely some deliberate voice to one character that mm -hmm. I don't see in the other one. Mm -hmm. So I assume that Levithan is writing Dash, but that may not be true. But I definitely get the impression that that's how they write. I think so, too. And I got a very strong We Read Every Day by David Levithan. That's an episode you can go back and check out. Mm -hmm. And that voice and Dash's voice have a lot of parallels yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in the book, we have Dash, who is... He's a child of divorced parents who have sort of left him to go feral. He's mm -hmm. been left to his own devices for the holidays. Each parent thinks that the other parent has him for Christmas, but they don't talk to each other. So they don't actually know. And they also don't really seem to care all that much about no. him because the mother is briefly referenced and the dad makes an appearance, but yeah. they're very hands-off parents. We'll put yes. it that way. They appear in much more depth and detail in book two, and it's actually to the benefit of Dash's character that you get to understand them more. Okay. But in this book, yes, definitely, they're kind of ghosty, and they sort of, they're very absent. Mm -hmm. But Dash is thrilled. He's also told his classmates, for the most part, that he's gone in Sweden mm -hmm. for the holidays because he doesn't want to have any responsibilities. He wants to just sort of be by himself and uh, try to ignore that Christmas is even happening. So he's real Grinch. Yeah. And he's also like, you know, he doesn't like being beholden to people and he doesn't like expectations being placed upon him. And that's pretty clearly laid out at the beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we have Lily. Lily has a close and really intense family and it's giant. Like she yeah. has family in all the boroughs of New York, she tells us frequently. Mm-hmm. She and her family all live really close together. Her grandfather lives in the apartment above them. She's very enmeshed with them. On the flip side, she has a really hard time relating to people her own age. Yeah. All of her friends are adults or family members or adult family members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> her brother, who is one of my favorite characters in the book, realizes that she needs to do something. And he comes up with this idea of like, 
leaving a series of scavenger hunt clues in her favorite place, which is the bookstore, The Strand. And maybe a boy will find this book and connect with her in a way that Mm -hmm. she's actually able to reciprocate. And so begins this scavenger hunt across New York City, where these two teenagers are sort of just missing each other and almost finding each other and developing a relationship through words. Mm -hmm. Dash is sort of hampered by the fact that he builds things up in his head and lives in his head really deeply. And so it's hard for him to actually connect to like real life human beings. Yeah. Lily is hampered by the fact that she was bullied as a kid and feels very much like the weird one, the one Mm -hmm. who's sort of left out of all situations. But what I like about Lily is that she embraces all those aspects of herself. So she makes her own clothes. She likes to be different, Mm -hmm. but she wishes she could be different and also make connections with people. Obviously, at the end of the book, there's kissing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And of course, they also have a couple of friends who help them along the way. So as you mentioned off the top, Dash has a really good friend named Boomer. We love Boomer. We love Boomer in the show, and he is obnoxious and insufferable in the book. Correct. Could not stand him. It's basically the human equivalent of a yappy dog. Yeah. And part of it, I think, I think, part of it is that Dash is kind of So Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we only ever see Boomer through Dash's perspective, he comes off as, in many ways, the opposite of Dash. Like, he likes people. He's kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. He likes to sort of say the first thing that comes into his head. He's sort of the opposite of pensive, reserved Dash. Yes. And Dash doesn't have a lot of patience with him. Like, Dash is not a very good friend. No, Dash is just not a very good person. No. And so I'm not <laughs> sure we can trust the way Dash describes Boomer, but that doesn't really matter when you have to read Dash's Boomer over and over again. He's really, really irritating. But what's yeah. interesting is in the moments when Lily interacts with Boomer, or in the second book where we see a lot more of Boomer from other perspectives, mm-hmm. he's a lot more humane. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I found him quite a bit more tolerable in the show. I love him in the show. I mean, it benefits, right? Because even though we are getting voiceover, as is tradition, mm-hmm. we are actually getting to see people and take them yes. on their own right. Yes. So I don't think it hurts that we have Dante Brown, who's actually doing a really admirable job as yes. just that super likable character to the extent where there were a couple of times where I thought, you know what, I would rather see Boomer and Sophia's story. Yes. And I think the show sets you up well for that because in the show, there's much more focus put on Dash's needing to connect to other people like in a meaningful way. That mm-hmm. doesn't really play in the book. So you don't get to see... Dash's growth, but you also don't get to see any of Dash's friends in their own Mm -hmm. right. They're always triangulated through Dash's perspective of them. Yes. Yeah. Which is like not nice. Like (laughs) there's sort of this deep irony in the fact that Dash has all these friends, but he's kind of a dick. And Lily has no friends and is sweet as pie. Yeah. One of the things that struck me on this second read is that both of the characters have good qualities to them. Like, I like the idea of erudite children who are well-read and they make funny references that, you know, are really clearly written by adults and not representative of teenagers. I believe when we talked about Kevin Williamson, I described this as West Wing for teenagers, this Mm -hmm. mode of discourse, and I like it and I'm a sucker for it, man, every time. Me too. Yeah. But I will say that 
there are times in both the book and the TV show, but I think more so in the book, that I felt removed from it because the characters were unlikable in their own right. Like Lily is so Lily and Dash is so Dash that at times you just think, okay, I need this arc to either happen a little faster because it's becoming grating and or I need you to sand some of this edge off. Yeah, you should not read book two. Okay, then. (laughs) Like, absolutely never. Because that's exactly the problem. Like, they are, all of their negative qualities are too much. And also, Mm. because you don't have the will they won't they aspect, they are very will they. Right. You end up having all this other drama created. Like, Grandpa has a heart attack in book two right at the beginning. Mm. It's too much. This is supposed to be a Christmas story. Get out of here. Living in a pandemic. Let's be clear, Brenna. (laughs) (laughs) Book one has a bit of too much as well. There is an entire subplot in which Lily's family wants to move to Fiji. Yeah. Oh, by the way, like it's bad in the book, but it is handled even less effectively in the TV series. Tell me again about how little money you have, but you just booked an emergency return trip from Fiji so that you could be here for Christmas. Show what are you doing? And also like you're taking on this job in Fiji in a week. Like your whole Mm -hmm. family is moving in one week. Yeah. Because that's how employment visas work. Like, what? I know. (laughs) It's very silly in both texts. And it feels like, could we not have found a more artificial rom-com construction to keep this on track? Yes, I agree. There is a lot of that. I mean, the entire television series, book series, it's predicated on wild happenstance Mm -hmm. and on wild happenstance as the central motivating factor mm-hmm. in literally everyone's life <laughs> like it's a bit much yeah you <laughs> you really do have to adjust your expectations and be willing to go along with what the narrative is going to do because there were a couple of times where i thought oh no you can't leave a notebook there because it's new york city yeah this place is busy somebody's just gonna grab that and then the game is done and you really just have to let that go and be patient and accept the idea that they will always find their way back to the notebook and they will always find their way back to each other And in some ways, it's lovely to let yourself go into that, but Mm -hmm. it's why the book doesn't benefit from a reread, because it's hard to make your brain do that twice once you already know where it goes. I think the TV show does a really good job of always having them almost just miss each other so Mm -hmm. that the notebook is never just lying on a statue in Central Park for several hours (laughs) in the rain, by the way. Oh, I know. (laughs) So the TV show does a good job just through its use of cinematography and juxtaposition, right? Juxtaposing the the two characters against each other so that you Mm -hmm. feel like they're in more immediate contact. In the book, sometimes it does. It feels like, wow, this notebook was just lying on a a shelf in the (laughs) strand and nobody ever picked it up. Like, okay. Yeah. I'm curious to know what you think about this because I waffled back and forth with it. It also seems a little bit odd in the book just how many convenient relatives Lily has. Yeah. I actually find it charming in the book because I don't know why I find it so charming in the book, but I do. I find it slightly overwhelming in the TV show. I think in part because in the film or in the book, sorry, you never really see all those relatives in the same place at the same time, except for at the Christmas party. Right. 
and I'm worried I'm conflating the two books, but there's also a tree lighting party in the second book where you okay. see the whole family together. But otherwise, it's kind of a one at a time thing. Mm-hmm. I got really confused as to how the family relationships are set up in the TV show because mm-hmm. in the book, there's sort of two sets of old people who guide Lily through life, right? There's grandpa's friends from the neighborhood. Right. And that's one group of people. And then there's the family. And it's all Lily's mom's family. And there's a whole through line in the second book about how Lily's dad feels incredibly suffocated by all these people Uh, always being around. Interesting. Okay. In the TV series, for obvious reasons, they conflate those two groups. Mm -hmm. And also there's the the interracial element, right? Mm -hmm. Where Lily's mom's family is Japanese and her dad's family is white. So it gets a bit confusing to me. Like, who is Uncle Sal? Is he like just a friend who you call Uncle Sal in the TV series? Or is he an uncle? And if he's an uncle, how is he related exactly? Exactly. Yeah. Like, to whom is he an uncle? And is the (laughs) uncle just a charming moniker? Like, I have many aunts and uncles that are just friends of my parents. Yes. It's not at all clear, though. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Thankfully, the TV show makes Santa less rapey. Yeah, that's nice. That's a nice touch. <laughs> uh, we've been talking about the show a lot. Yeah, we, we have. Let's just talk about the show. Okay. Okay. Imagine you're in New York and it's Christmas. You're in your favorite bookstore and there is a red notebook. Do you dare? Do I dare? Not for just anyone. But I have to confess, you intrigue me. You ask how this time of year makes me feel, so I know you'll understand when I say... He hates Christmas! Get out of my room! It's the most detestable time of the year. The forced cheer, the frenzied crowd. Put the book back on the shelf and try again. If you want to know more about me, you'll have to earn it with a dare. What's up? You got a diary? You have these clues like a treasure hunt. mystery boy do you feel the holiday spirit you like her okay clue girl just wait till you see what i have in store for you release your negative emotions i dare you to let it all out i'm sort of starting to like him i like him most because he encourages you to get out of your bubble down the rabbit hole All right, so dropping fresh on Netflix, we've got eight episodes that average about 23 to 30 minutes. Such a gift. Oh my goodness. Imagine if they'd been an hour long. No, absolutely not. (laughs) So this show was created by Joe Trax, and it stars, as you mentioned, Austin Abrams as Dash, and we did actually see him in the movie version of Paper Town, so Mm -hmm. that was an interesting connection. We've got more or less newcomer Midori Francis as Lily. She's guest starred on a bunch of TV shows, but it's always an episode or two. I mm-hmm. think she's in Ocean's 8, but, you know, if you ask me to point her out, I'm not going to be able to. I know, this means nothing to you. <laughs> Dante Brown as Boomer, Kiana Marie as Sophia, Glenn McEwen as Edgar Thibode, who we should probably spend a little bit of time talking about. <sighs> Your favorite character is played by Troy Awada. That's Langston, Lily's brother. And then he has a <laughs> very flight of fancy boyfriend named yes. Benny, who is played by Diego Guevara. Who I love. 
And then really the parents are present, but not present. So I'm yeah. only going to name grandpa who's played by Jamie Sato and also Miss Basil E, who is Lily's grandmother, who is, I gathered grandpa's sister. Yes. They have a fraught relationship. She is played by Jody Long and I liked her. Brian could not get a grip on this character. So I don't know if maybe she only works if you have the book to fall back on. Hmm. He was just like, who is she? Is she a faded movie star? Is she a Broadway actress? Is she just a rich lady? What's with this house? What's going on? Yeah, that's true. We get a lot more of her backstory. She, She was an art dealer, right? And that's where her money comes from in the book. Gathered. Yeah, I, think I mean, so. it was kind of one of those things where you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> well, I think also, I mean, you know that she must be wealthy because you know she has a four story brownstone in the book, oh but it's not until you see the opulence of it in the mm-hmm. film, but also the cozy opulence of it. Like I, I really love the distinction between where she lives and then something like Priya's party. Right. Bria's family, obviously also extremely wealthy, or like the apartment where Dash's dad lives, Mm -hmm. also extreme wealth, but both of those spaces are quite cold in contrast with the sort of cozy, antique-y Mrs. Basil-y. Yeah, those other places are quite a bit more contemporary and modern, which Mm -hmm. is all the more appropriate that Sophia takes Dash to the museum for an evening, right? Where you're just like, of course these rich kids would do something like this. Yes. And actually, we should quickly address the fact Uh, I was uncomfortable with just how high class, more so the TV show, I think just because we can visualize it, Mm -hmm. but there are no discussions about money. Like grandpa owns the building that they live in and he can afford to live above them. And Dash's father is obviously super rich and his mom is a psychiatrist or Mm -hmm. something. So she lives in her own apartment building. But there's never any talk or if it is, it's so it's not relatable in any sense. Like at one point Dash gets mad at Lily because she sent him to the wax museum. That's a tourist trap. And he complains about the $25 entry fee. And all I can think of is like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's interesting because I think the book wants to do it both ways. Like Mm -hmm. Lily is less wealthy than Dash. That's clear. Yes. And she is more constrained by circumstance. But there's also this sort of thing like if you bought real estate long enough ago in New York, you have a certain amount of stability that other people just don't have. Yes. But there's also this idea because Lily's parents are like itinerant English professors. Mm -hmm. Her dad for sure is sessionaling. I'm not sure about her mom in the TV series. In the book, they're both sort of underemployed English professors. Yeah. I think that like most YA that becomes really popular in America, they don't want to talk about class as a distinction. I mean, in real life, this wouldn't be possible. Like, you know? No, it's and I think that was it. I wanted to embrace the fantasy and kind of get Mm -hmm. lost in the whirlwind romance, but I kept being taken out by specifically my knowledge of what it's like to live in New York and just the amount of travel that they're doing just the sheer cost of getting on the metro, catching cabs, entry into museums, buying gifts, and all of that kind of stuff. Yep. This would be a very expensive week for these two teenagers to go on these kinds of adventures. 
Yeah, and the the book isn't really interested in it. And the second book is actually kind of even worse. Lily's got a dog walking business and Mm -hmm. somehow she has saved up five figures in her bank account from her dog walking business, which she then proceeds to blow on a party for Dash because... Oh my goodness. Why not? And it's like, oh, this is... Super relatable. <laughs> it's almost like Cone and Levithan want to be like, oh, we know that things cost money. Here's the explanation for that. And you're mm-hmm. like, but... And you're like, this is one step below Gossip Girl, folks. I have several follow-up questions. <laughs> like... <laughs> right. Uh, question from the crowd? <laughs> I mean, I I don't want to belabor the point because, I, yeah, as you said, I don't think that's really the intention. And part of this is it's so candy-colored mm-hmm. or maybe candy cane colored mm-hmm. for the season i think you're really just meant to say just go with it just shut up turn yeah. your brain off and go with it yeah there were just these moments in both properties where i had a lot of difficulty doing that because yeah. of the extravagance yes i agree completely and i think it's worse in the tv show because everything for the tv show because it always is is kicked up 10 notches so mm-hmm. like It's not just that Dash creates like the perfect date at the Strand. It's what that date looks like. Mm -hmm. How many resources had to go into that date, right? Yeah. Which is all ramped up in the series. So you can kind of ignore it in the book a lot of the time, but you can't ignore it in the TV show. Oh, oh, do you mean that climactic moment where he repairs his relationship with Boomer by just showing up at a Jonas (sighs) Brothers concert? That made me so mad. that isn't free, folks. Like, you can't just show up. It made me so mad, too, because, like, Boomer makes this really great point that, like, he only reaches out when he needs him. Like, Dash is a really bad friend and has Mm -hmm. been consistently. And Boomer finally gets up the nerve to say that. And then Dash is like, I came to this Jonas Brothers concert, too, which, by the way, was such a I did not enjoy that stunt casting. I thought it was goofy and unnecessary. (laughs) Yeah, it was eye roll central. Totally. I I mean, we can only get so mad at it because I'm also thinking about just how much stunt casting and not like, oh, it's, you know, Connie Britton. It's like, here's Dolly Parton. Here's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've seen a lot of it. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Hmm. I will say I appreciated the ending of the TV show more. I mean, yeah, we had the ridiculousness of the we're moving to Fiji in a week. And I was really worried we were going to get an airport stunt, like a traditional rom-com. So I'm glad we didn't get that. But I'm glad that we also didn't get a weird mommy alert child abduction dog runaway baby rescue police imprisonment subplot. Because let me tell you how much I forgot that in the book. And yeah. (laughs) It's no, it's rough. The thing I don't like about the ending of the TV show is she spends all this time on the phone to her grandpa repairing that relationship and establishing like new boundaries. And it's like, oh, super healthy. Good work, everybody. Mm -hmm. And then she just doesn't tell her parents that she's in the strand. Like she just doesn't answer their call. And they're like, they're in traffic somewhere on the way to the airport. Yeah. No, no, no resolution there. Like, we only needed like a two second phone call to at least have something remotely resembling resolution to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It kind of feels like, oh, well, we'll deal with this later if we get a second season. Yes, which is, I mean, exactly what they probably will do is get a second season and do the second book, which takes place a full year into the future. So you can paper over a whole bunch of stuff by just being like, and it's a year later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we don't even need to talk about the fallout from that because that was so long ago. Can we talk a little bit about the score of the show? 
Absolutely, because I loved it. I adored it. So it's scored by a guy named Dan the Automator. And Dan the Automator is a Japanese-American record producer and DJ. Okay. And we have heard him before. Oh, have we? Yeah, he scored all of Booksmart, which I know you've seen. I haven't watched yet. Oh, I quite like that movie. But he also wrote a bunch of the songs for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Okay. Yeah, so he's done a bunch a bunch of stuff. He's also, he's in a band with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Okay, then. <laughs> yeah, I know, random, right? But I just felt like the music worked so well. It reminded me of, and this is another Christmas movie now that I say it, and an adaptation. Wow, it reminded me of About a Boy. Okay. Badly Drawn Boy does the soundtrack for About a Boy. Mm-hmm. And it's this sort of perfect, like, do, 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 sort of like light mm-hmm. and fluffy Little background whimsical. music. That, yeah, whimsical. That's exactly the word I'm looking for. That connects the whole thing together. This soundtrack, and About a Boy is the same thing, set at Christmas, has the potential to be extremely grating because yeah. of the way Christmas music often sounds. But instead, what we have is this really great, lovely sort of playful, almost childlike, mm-hmm. whimsical score interspersed with really carefully selected Christmas songs. And I think oh. it works really well. You don't think they're carefully selected? They may be carefully selected, but I found watching episodes back to back, it felt like how much Christmas music can we cram into the series? Oh, really? See, I only ever watched two episodes at a time, so maybe it was not so bad. Hmm. Maybe you're the Lily and I'm the Dash. I mean, I don't think anybody would be surprised by that show. How very dare you. <laughs> also, um, the references to Joni Mitchell's River Ooh. Mm. to um, Fairy Tale of New York are both mm-hmm. out of the second book. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I hated that scene, by the way. The river where he recites the river. The poetic reading. Yeah. Where his inflection is zero. I loathed that scene. I don't know why they added it. And it doesn't make any sense to Lily's character that she would have demanded it. It very much felt like it would have been a Langston thing at that point. Yes. Yes. And maybe that's the point. But I hated it. Made me mad. Yeah. Now, you were also mad about the treatment of Langston in the TV show compared to the book. I really don't like his climactic arc. So... He and mm-hmm. Lily have a bit of a falling out over the Benny situation. He breaks up with Benny because Benny's going to Puerto Rico for two weeks. And in the book, it's a lot more nuanced. Langston's heart was broken by someone saying they were going to do a long distance thing with him and then not, right? right. And that killed him. Like he was really, really upset. Mm-hmm. And so in the book, when Benny's like, I have to go to Puerto Rico for two weeks, He's like, well, we'll break up because I can't handle... He just overreacts. Yeah. That's not at all clear in the series. He just seems nuts. Uh, Yeah, he's definitely more flighty in the TV show. And it feels more like it's an attempt by him to also dodge responsibility. Like, you get the impression that Lily is very much the responsible one. And Langston is the one who's coasting. But because he's older, everyone allows him to get away with it. Whereas they just double down on their protectiveness of Lily. Of Lily. Yeah, that's true. In some ways, I think... I don't know. It seems like a really stereotypical way of treating the queer brother also, though, to have him be so sort of flighty like that. I just think there's more nuance and complexity to Langston in the book. Okay. So he and Lily have had this falling out because Lily's like, why would you break up with someone because they're going to Puerto Rico for two weeks? That's not a reason. Mm -hmm. And he, I guess, is mad at her because of that. 
or something. And so when she gets in the cab to go to Fiji, he realizes that Dash has put the notebook on the step. Mm-hmm. And he realizes it before the cab has pulled away. He could yes. be like, Lily, wait, and grab it and give it to her. But he doesn't. He hides it mm-hmm. and he waves her goodbye. And then he goes upstairs and he puts it in a drawer and he pretends like he's going to ignore it. And then he can't ignore it and he opens it up and reads it. And he ends up texting her the... The passage. The passage. And yeah. it's like, okay, I get that they needed an obstacle here because she has to get to the stuck in traffic point for the dramatic, mm-hmm. for her to be running distance from the strand so that they sure. can have this great dramatic scene. Yeah. But like, you could also just achieve that by Dash's Uber being stuck. Like right. he could have just been two minutes behind them. I didn't think it was true to Langston's character for him to try to conceal that from her. It didn't make sense to me and it made me sad because I really like their relationship. In many ways, he's the only member of the family who's honest with her. Everybody else is way overprotective and and treats her like she can't handle anything. So that's why it bummed me out. That's interesting because I definitely read it as, okay, well, this is how we introduce an artificial obstacle. Mm -hmm. But I also read it as true to Langston's character because he had kind of moved on from this idea of flights of fancy and romantic whimsy and saying, you know what, it's time to be practical. Lily is moving to Fiji, so she doesn't need this. She doesn't need the promise of a beautiful relationship with Dash. So I'm going to protect her by saying no to love. And then he realizes that's not who I am. Mm. And he does it relatively quickly, I think, because he actually is quite a romantic. He wears Mm. his heart on his sleeve. And that's why he almost immediately grabs the book and then realizes he has to send it to her. Mm. I did have a different reading. But interestingly enough, I also found that he was an okay queer depiction. And part of that was that I didn't always love how boy obsessed he was and how flighty he was about the relationship with Benny, but rather how casually his relationship was accepted by the family. I did like that. Yeah. Uh, I do know that in people of color, particularly like Asian backgrounds, it's not always an easy coming out process. Mm. So this is very much a highly idealized fantasy situation where the family is totally cool with it. There's no Mm. issues. Like when he goes up for the New Year's money from grandpa, I fully expected grandpa to say something about this is why I don't agree with your lifestyle. Mm. Whereas it's just so now that your heart is clearly better, you're going to go back to school. And I like that. I like that too. I did like that too. Adhering slightly to tradition and expectations, but also being a little bit novel and contemporary. Mm. So yeah, I liked both of them. I didn't love either of them. I will confess, I more often than I expected struggled to connect with the performances of Dash and Lily in the Mm. show. Mm -hmm. Lily's earnestness made me uncomfortable at times. Like the dancing sequence was full on cringe. Yes. Yes, it was. Actually, that entire scene, I think, works substantially better in the book than in Mm -hmm. the film. Yeah, no, I fully agree with you. (laughs) No arguments here. I kind of wanted Dash to be like a little bit hotter. No offense to Abrams, but (gasps) he's so face blindness, average white guy. Yeah, I I texted you and I was like, where is he keeping his chin? (laughs) So mean. (laughs) So mean. I know I'm a terrible person, but also where is he keeping his chin? I don't don't understand. It's just odd to see a romantic lead with no chin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's he's a bit of a wet blanket performer. 
Yeah, I I think he's probably right for the role in that way because he does give off kind of sour, dour notes. But just after eight episodes, it was like, okay, I'm ready to be done with you. Whereas, you know, I mentioned that we should probably talk about Thibode. Mm -hmm. And it's only just because I thought that Glenn McEwen was doing some really interesting things with what could have been a very stereotypical villain role. Whereas Edgar is charming and likable, but he's also a complete douche nozzle. I found his choices actually really hard to read. In the book, it's very clear that Edgar is not going to take advantage of Lily when she's drunk. Mm -hmm. He has no intention of doing that, but also he has no intention of looking after her. He's just going to leave her. Like, whatever happens to her happens. Mm -hmm. In In the TV show, there's this weird moment where he's like, oh, I'll take her home. And Dash is like, no, it's fine, I'll do it. And he's like, no, I can take her home. And I was like... I don't understand what the motivation here is. Like, is he going to be creepy or is he not going to be creepy? I can't read what's happening. Mm, and I didn't like that. No, but particularly around that incident, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I liked the way that he approached things like at Priya's party where they walk in the door and he just immediately abandons Lily, which as an introvert who is constantly oh, yeah. forced to go to extrovert situations, oh, that yeah. is a nightmare for people like me. Mm-hmm. But I like then when he walks her to the door and, you know, they do have romantic chemistry and you think, okay, well, maybe this would be nice. But then he just gets called back because they're starting this game of truth or dare and it's his turn. You think, yeah, you know what? He is the kind of guy who would flip on a dime. Like, can I get a kiss from this girl? Mm, It's not going to work out. Okay, I'll find something somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. But he's charming. He's much more charming. And that's a problem, actually, that he is significantly Mm. more charming than Dash. Because in the book, Dash is often a butt. But (laughs) he's a charming butt. Yeah, that's how he gets away with it. You can see what's likable about him. In the adaptation, I'm just like, I don't understand why you have friends. Like, I don't understand why people tolerate you. It was very difficult, particularly because they made Boomer so much more likable yes. as well. You were like, Boomer would be everyone's friend and he would not need to. <laughs> I kept expecting Lily to fall in love with Boomer in the TV show. Oh my. Mm. Okay, just a better show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh... Before we wrap up, can I just point out that Fred Savage directed half of these episodes? I keep telling you, Fred Savage is getting into comedy direction. Well, it's interesting because like, I knew that he had directed and produced a bunch of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, particularly before it got really creepy and rapey as a series. Okay. (laughs) Have you watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I have not recently, Oh my god. I don't know. Somewhere late in the run, it just like, Dee's brother, the main guy. Oh, he's always been the worst. (laughs) He turns explicitly into a sexual predator for like several episodes and I lost interest in the series. I'm told it gets better after that, but I'm not going back. Anyway, so I knew he had done that, but I started reading about his directorial career Mm-hmm. when I saw that he had done the whole back half of this series. Yeah. And it turns out that like, because obviously if you don't know and you're listening, Fred Savage was the main guy on The Wonder Years. He mm-hmm. was like, that was his thing. Yep. And his little brother is Ben Savage, who of course was the Boy Meets World main boy, right? Right, yeah. So Fred Savage got interested in directing and actually directed two episodes towards the end of Boy Meets World. But he learned how to direct by shadowing Disney Channel shows. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, even Steven, that's so Raven, he shadowed a bunch of those directors and then he went on to direct a bunch of those shows. Hmm. And you can see that sensibility here yeah. in a way that I find really charming. Like, that's oh, not an insult. <laughs> no, not at all. Because yeah. I actually do think that his episodes are very well done. Agreed. 
I don't think that the show is particularly memorable in a lot of its artistic choices. You know, there's a fun couple of split screens. I like the rewind when Dash arrives at the Mm -hmm. bar and then they rewind back. It's interesting because much like I complained in Spontaneous that those moments where they flipped between perspectives, there weren't enough of them. They didn't Mm -hmm. play with it enough because it's really effective. I felt the same way in this. I felt like there were all these really interesting moments that they choose not to explore. Yeah, it's tricky because you don't want to do it so much that it's distracting. Or gimmicky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the problem is, is that when you see it, you think, oh, I could do with just a little bit more of this, right? Yeah, I agree. And in many ways, I think the best, strongest episode of the series is episode seven, which Fred Savage directs and Rachel Cohn writes. Mm, it's got a really good handle on the material in both yes. the visual sense, but also the character. And the, the characters, writing. they make yeah. the most sense in that episode. Exactly. It's a bummer that it's not the last episode. That was the other thing. I was like, oh, this feels like we're wrapping up. Yeah. The last episode is not my favorite. And I don't mm. think it's the strongest place to leave the series, unfortunately. No, no. Especially if you're going to leave it for a whole year before we get another season. If that, if they yeah. can even, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe conversation for another year. Yeah. Okay, Brenna. So we have three remaining bingo slots. Okay. Bingo! Not a good bingo. I'm taking one of them. Yes, you are. I am calling stunt casting because I can't believe we haven't had it back on the board yet. What were we thinking? We actually <laughs> haven't had very many stunt casty episodes since we reset the board. That is true. Yeah. yeah. So thank you, Nick Jonas, for bringing back stunt casting. Um, do we have musicality on this board yet? We do. Okay. Well, I want to check that off for this one. Okay. I think that we should bring back, we used to call it holiday set piece, but I didn't love that. Mm-hmm. But we should bring back, I don't know what to call it, the culminating holiday scene, the holiday climax, maybe? Mm, okay. I think we should bring that back because obviously that's very important to this series, but we see it a lot. Yeah. Hmm. I was thinking maybe for the last one, perfect date. <gasps> perfect date! Yeah! Bring back perfect date. Okay. I actually think it's a more perfect date when they're chasing each other through New York than when they actually meet up. Yeah, it's part of the problem, right? With romance, a lot of the time we like the chase more than we actually like the culmination. Yeah, doesn't help when the romantic lead is not remotely charming. Mm, I love a wet blanket for now. (laughs) We're going to hear from some Austin Abrams stands. Bring it on, folks. Bring it on. (laughs) Tell us where he's hiding his chin. Where your chin at? at. (laughs) He was in Paper Towns? Who the hell was he in Paper Towns? He was Ben. I think he's one of the friends. Oh, he was. Okay, I do remember. The annoying friend. Yeah, that shocker. (laughs) (laughs) He's not a bad actor. He just, he plays these characters. He does play these characters. And he's also just not very, well, yeah, I mean, he's he's just not very charming. And that Mm. is fine in some roles and really detrimental in others. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. If you are an Austin Abrams stan and you want to get in touch with us, we're at hashtag HKHSpod on the Twitters. Joe, Mm -hmm. where do they find you? You can find me at B Snow on my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you've got something longer, it's hkhspot at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Joe. Yes. We're going like literary next next full episode, right? I was gonna say, I don't know that I would describe Julian the Phantom. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
but right yes. we have a mini soda in between so our mini soda in between is julie and the phantoms you should definitely watch it it's delightful we're gonna squee a lot i suspect oh yeah i'm gonna drop <laughs> so many of those sound clips in there because those songs are bangers it's so fun uh, so yeah that's next week catch yeah. up on your julie and the phantoms but mm-hmm. after that we're getting into some dense literary terrain it's been a while you have warned me and i'm terrified but yes <laughs> no it's really good it's just it's 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 literature okay. yeah so unfortunately we are keeping up with netflix properties so mm-hmm. we apologize this will be three weeks back to back but we are gonna cover deepa Mehta's new film and yes. this is in part driven because it's queer it's also canadian because mm-hmm. of deepa Mehta. so her new film funny boy is dropping on netflix and we're also going to be reading the book which is by i'm gonna try it shyam selvadurai it's a uh, really fun so far. It's sort of like a collection of a collection of short stories, but they're deeply linked. Like I've seen it referred mm-hmm. to as a short story collection, but I think you could also call it a novel and not be wrong. Right. Yeah. It's divided in six, right? Yes. And it's okay. all about a queer coming of age in India. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited. This was not on my radar until the trailer dropped. And then I found out it was adapted. So I was like, let's hustle. Let's try to get it on there. So folks... Second last book of the year. Mm-hmm. Funny boy. Get reading. I think you're going to like it. All right. <laughs> okay. So until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.